thing, if you're kind of getting the idea, we're, we're talking about how do we like see other people. And so um, for me this morning, it's actually a little weird being up here because I've been up here like a lot, so have you. But I've never actually given the message or part of the message, so um, bear with me. Um, and I just wanted to thank everybody that's been like super supportive of me going back to school, going to seminary last year. Um, sometimes, you know, God has a plan, but it takes us 20 years to figure it out. So thank you. Um, so our scripture this morning is going to come from Mark 12, 28 through 31. So you can follow along in your Bible or, yeah, it's up there. Um, so one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So if you've been around church a while, um, You've probably heard that verse before. Um, you've also probably heard that your neighbor is like, you know, your geographical neighbor. We all have them. Some are farther away than others. Um, it could be a classmate, a coworker, you know, the store clerk that checks you out. Um, it can also be that person at the fast food restaurant that can't get your order right no matter how many times you've repeated it. So you've also heard through, like, you've heard the parable of the Good Samaritan um, and that our neighbors are also the homeless person sleeping in a doorway. It's the drug addict asking us for money or it's the immigrant um, or the refugee. We have lots of different types of neighbors. So there's a Greek word that I learned probably about five years ago and it actually changed my life. So I'm going to share it with you and I'm hoping that it might change your life as well. The word is phylozinia. There it is. Now, it's a Greek word, and I can't do languages at all, so I probably am killing the translation, you know, the pronunciation. But that's not the, the important part is what it means, not how I'm going to kill it every time I say it. So, yeah, ask my family. Um, so the word phylozinia, um, it comes from a compound word. So the first word is phylo, meaning brotherly love. The second part of it, xenia, is to the stranger or the immigrant. So that word, philozinia, is brotherly love to the stranger or the immigrant, somebody that you don't know. Um, so how do we like incorporate that word into our everyday lives? Living here in America, you know, in pretty, you know, nice places, um, for sure. So take a moment. And we're going to go back in time. You know, time travel with me. Um, so we're going to go back about to 1500 BC. Okay, so we're the Israelites. We've been wandering around the desert. Um, we might have gotten into the promised land. You know, Moses, you know, may or may not still be around. But we have a, some laws. Like, and if you've studied Old Testament law, believe me, there's a lot of laws. But there's a couple that are really important. Um, and the laws are there for a reason. They kept the Israelites, they kept their culture separate. So they didn't kind of start blending in with all the other cultures around them. That was one of the main reasons. Another reason was that so they knew how to interact with people that were different from them. 
And lastly, and the most importantly, was so that they could stay faithful to God, to Yahweh, their one true God. So there's a law in Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. We'll bring that one up. So when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It was law. So, so how, what would that have meant to these Israelites? So it would have meant that they would have opened up their home because it wasn't like, hey, let's go meet at Starbucks. Okay? They would have opened up their home. They would have let them come in for a meal. They would have had them come spend the night at their house, somebody they did not know. Um, they would have brought them into their community, probably with lots of hand signals and pointing because they probably didn't speak the same language. Um, so they didn't ask first, like they didn't try to convert them to Judaism. They didn't try to, you know, ask them why they were there. They, they, they just brought them in. Um, if the person wanted to stay, they might have just been traveling and passing by. But if the person wanted to stay, they would have invited them into their community. They would have given them a job to do. They would have introduced them to their families and friends. They would have incorporated them into their family um, because, again, it was the law. So let's skip forward in time a little bit. We're going to time travel to probably sometime around Jesus, okay? So Jesus is walking around with these Israelites' descendants, okay? 1,500 years later, it's the same people. It's their descendants. The laws did not change. They had the same law. The laws were so incorporated to them that they were not able to separate what they knew in their head from their actions, Okay, so I want to make sure you got that. Their practices and their faith were one and the same. So often, I, like I see it in myself and I see it in others, is that we have a disconnect. Sometimes we know stuff in our heads and in our faith and we believe it, but it doesn't come out in our actions. So let's just bring up Mark 12 again. Um, oh, no, we're not going to bring it up. Um, but let's just think about it. That's right. I, sorry, Jeff. Um, that's my fault. Um, so in this passage, God made it, though, really clear that it's our whole self. You know, it's our heart, it's our mind, it's our strength, um, that we are supposed to love our neighbor like ourselves. So do we give ourselves water? Yeah. Do we give ourselves food? Do we give ourselves clothing, a place to sleep, a job to do? Yeah. Sometimes we don't reflect that at biblical hospitality. That's kind of what we're talking about, that philozenia word, we don't reflect that so well in our lives. So in English, the word hospitality, because if you saw the thing, it's practice hospitality. Hospitality is a noun. So I don't know why that kind of freaked me out a little bit. I didn't, I always, I think of it as a, like maybe a verb or some other part of English that we don't even have yet, because like, it's just a describing word. So, so my goal is to get this hospitality become part of you. So it's not a noun. And I'm, I'm sorry for all those English teachers that are here because they're going to... Jen's not here, I know. So I'm like, okay. So, but it's no longer a noun. When you hear the word hospitality, you're like, nope, it's not a noun. It's something that I do. It is part of me. Um, so... Um, I think most of us think of ourselves by American standards, like, yeah, we're pretty hospitable, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll drop off something to the neighbor once in a while or, you know, wave hi. But, but do we live lives where philozynia is, like, part of us? 
Like, it has taken over our whole being. So I have some friends that live up in Northern California. They bought a house a couple years ago, kind of in the Sacramento area. And um, so I, I don't see them all that often, a few, few times a year through Covenant stuff. And um, I always get to ask, like, hey, how's it going in your neighborhood? So they bought this house on a cul-de-sac, thinking, oh, this is like the perfect neighborhood. Their cul-de-sac ended up being filled with gang members, drug addicts, um, many unsavory types in this cul-de-sac, which they didn't know. So they basically had two options. They could, like, run, take a loss on the house, and just be like, nope, we got three small kids, we're done. Or they actually prayed about it and decided to stay. They decided that God was putting them there for a reason. So it's been about two years now. And um, they've actually gotten to know their neighbors and they love their neighbors. Um, so yes, their, their neighborhood is still filled with, you know, gangbangers and drug addicts and um, other unsavory people. And their kids do not play out in the front yard unattended. Um, but through the act of, like, bringing homemade cookies to their neighbors, they've invited their neighbors to dinner. Um, they, they stand out and talk. And, and yes, they've had to actually call the police and told the neighbors they were calling the police for domestic violence um, things going on. But the neighbors now come when they need something. When they have a problem, they come and they ask them for help. Um, and it's just this amazing, like, I keep hearing these stories of this amazing transformation of these neighbors that are actually seeing what Christianity is all about and opening up to it. Um, so... So I just share that because, you know, Matt and Laura and their kids, they are, like, living this life of biblical hospitality. And it's just, like, what an amazing example it is to me. Um, so Pastor Dan, he's been sharing um, a lot these last months or so um, about, about practicing biblical hospitality. Um, and that can take on lots of different... Um, roles for us. So it can be, you know, going to Skid Row on a Saturday. It can be working at the, volunteering at the Samaritan Center and sleeping at the PADS program, um, reaching out to just our neighbor that's driving us crazy because they're always smoking pot in the backyard now. Um, saying hello, a genuine hello, making eye contact to like somebody that you don't know, maybe somebody at a restaurant or a store. Um, Again, it's practice. We're practicing biblical hospitality because it doesn't come natural for most of us. It, doesn't, it isn't easy, usually. Um, it takes us out of our comfort zone. So remember, we're practicing it. Um, so what does that mean here at Simi Covenant, too? So over the years, we've, you know, I've been here a long time, and we, we've had these conversations like, oh, so we want Simi Covenant, and that's all of you guys, okay, and those that aren't here today. Um, we want us to be like part of the community and reaching out to the community. And there are so many ways that we are already doing that. And if you are not, I'm just going to challenge you right now to make sure you see Betty or myself or Jay or somebody um, say, hey, like, I want to be doing this too. Um, we reach out, we partner with Nueva Esperanza, our Hispanic brothers and sisters on things. Um, we do action um, serve days. Not only are we doing it once a year, like the official action day, we have a couple of people that like go and, and are helping this one older woman that we met, um, fantastic lady, um, driving her to doctor's appointments now. 
um, doing yard work for her on occasion because she can't do it herself. And so we have those opportunities. Um, we're going to be hosting Bunko Nights for Sarah's House. That's their fundraiser next year. Um, and if you haven't heard already, we're actually hosting the Christmas Shop through Action um, in December. So that is like there's ways that you can get involved in this like right now. So it also means Sunday mornings are going to look a little different sometimes. Um, because we have to remember that we are looking out for those that, are, that don't know Jesus yet. And so it might mean on a Sunday morning that all of us should get here a little bit early. Not just like an official greeter person, but all of us get here a little early to like talk to people we don't know. Like if we see somebody over in the parking lot, which by the way is way over there. If you are new, it is really hard to like figure out where you're going um, because that looks like a church over there because it used to be a church. Um, so, so just walk with the person. Like if they've got kids, like, hey, I'm, you know, the kid's sign-in is right by the door. It means like we might be uncomfortable a little bit on a Sunday morning um, because their comfort is more important than ours, um, that person that we don't know. It means staying late and maybe talking to people we don't know. You know, we can see our friends anytime, and we do, you know, but maybe it's like just standing a little bit, being awkward outside, and, and for those of you that are newer, like, I welcome you to be awkward with us, okay, so, because uh, we would love to, like, be awkward together and get to know you, um, so... I'm just saying. It, it might mean like once a month you get up early to actually make, you know, get the coffee set up or stay late um, to help put it away or maybe working with kids. Um, you know, I know that one's the scariest part for most of us. Um, but you know what? I will guarantee you that your discomfort will start to ease as you start making these new friends and these new connections that, that it becomes more comfortable. So I think I've talked enough. I'm going to let Jay share. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you, Melody. Uh, you know, when we take any concept like hospitality, Jesus has a very um, natural way of taking a concept that we think we know very well and then showing us that we only understand a very minuscule part of that. So uh, one of our hopes this morning is that we take this understanding of biblical hospitality and give it three dimensions, give it four dimensions, um, kind of blow it up a little bit to where we can actually see it through the lens that, that God looks at hospitality. So it, when we live our lives, uh, I find that we basically live our lives in three different zones. Um, we have first, we have zone one, which is our comfort zone. This is uh, our personal space. This could be our home. This could be um, our club that we're involved in. This could be our church. This is, this is a zone one space for a lot of us that have been here for a long time. Um, this could be some of your favorite spots. Uh, zone one is where we feel safe and where we have an immediate feeling of belonging. Um, zone one is where we get to do what we like, when we like it, how we like it. Uh, then we have zone two, which is the neutral zone. I think of this as this is the marketplace. This is where we're having interactions with people um, that we, we have intersecting tasks. It could be at the grocery store. It could be at work. Um, it could be basically the general public where we have a lot of surface level interactions, not meaning that it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we have a lot of surface level interactions with people. But most of our interactions are based on intersecting tasks. If I go to the grocery store, 
um, and I'm looking to get groceries, the person who's checking me through with the groceries, they have a job to be there. So we both have a task and we meet in that space. Same thing, if we, if we run into a coworker and have a conversation, we'll have a conversation and we'll have an interaction, but that's based on us both being in a space where we have a job to do or a task to do. Then the third zone is the, the other's zone. This is where we're a little out of place. This is where we're, we're outside of our comfort zone. Um, this is where we don't necessarily immediately belong, where we feel, um, where there's an element of, of being foreign, whether that's literally or figuratively. Obviously, if we go to another country, we have very clear, um, a very clear understanding that we are foreign in that space. But we have foreign spaces all around us. Five, if we were to drive five minutes from here, any direction, or walk into uh, a club that uh, does an activity that we're not used to, that would be a foreign space for us. Um, so I'm guessing, has anyone ever walked into a space where the moment you walked in, you knew you didn't belong? Eh? All right. Just about. So uh, years ago, I was, I was dating a girl, and um, she was a dancer. She's a big dancer. And so I went to um, watch her dance at a, at a convention. They had a ballroom dancing convention. Um, this was over by the airport at LAX. And I didn't know ballroom dance was really a thing. I knew that was a class that was held in college. I knew um, that was uh, a very awkward phase of my life in cotillion. I don't know if any of you guys were subjected to something called cotillion as a kid, where they try to civilize you. Um, but so I went to this place, and, and there were literally thousands of people at this convention from all over the nation that would come together to have this massive three days straight, three days straight and night. They would dance until five in the morning. Um, go to bed, wake up at noon, and do the whole thing again the next day. Um, and, and it was this incredible subculture. It was built on ballroom dance. And, and for me, when I stepped in there that night, after they had these competitions, they just had, you know, an open dance floor. Uh, the, langu- the, the, the only dance language that I speak, I speak three. I speak Texas two-step. Anybody? Yeah, okay, we got a couple. I speak Texas two-step. Um, I speak awkward prom. I can, I can awkward prom dance. Um, and I can, I, I know the dance of, uh, of the guy that's had a few too many at a wedding reception. Those are my, those are my three dance languages. So I walk into this place and I see what's happening and immediately I knew I do not belong here. Uh, but one thing that was powerful was that community ended up being so inviting and I never went back, but, um, they were very inviting and very welcoming of my awkwardness in that space. So we think of the other zone. Again, it's not necessarily a good thing or bad thing. This is just a place that we do not belong immediately. could also be in more of, a, uh, more of a bad way, thinking like, oh, I'm in the wrong neighborhood. I'm in a very dangerous place, whatever, whatever that might be. So with each one of these three zones, there's a different language um, that we use in each one, and there's a different language that communicates most effectively. In zone one, our language is based on um, our shared experiences, a common background, uh, similar preferences, uh, similar political views, similar religious views. Um, this could be similar hobbies, fields of interest. If you, if you walk into a room with a bunch of musicians, they're going to talk musician speak. Um, if you walk into a room with a bunch of golfers, they're going to talk golf speak. I do not know of that language at all. Um, right? So language one is, is where things thrive like inside jokes insider speak, where we might say something where we all know what it means, but if someone walked in from the street, they would have no clue what we're talking about. I'll, I'll give one example of insider language when it comes to the church. If I were to say something like, welcome, 
isn't it great that we can all be here covered by the blood of the Lamb? Okay, and, and most of you probably have an understanding of what that means. But what's really being said there is, isn't it great that we can come to a place um, where we can together acknowledge the fact that God loves us to the point that he was willing to sacrifice himself and have his righteousness or his, um, his perfection cover our imperfections so that we can come together. And it's, it's saying the same thing, but again, if, we, if I use that insider language and someone comes off the street, they're probably going to think we're a really weird cult uh, more than anything else. I, I had a, um, a buddy of mine that I brought to church um, for the first time in his life uh, last week, and it was, he'd never walked into a church in his life. He's 33 years old, never, never stepped foot in one, and so everything is new, and the language that we think is so natural to us could be completely unnatural to him. Um, right, so that is, that is uh, the language of our comfort zone, and what communicates most powerfully in that language is a sense of belonging. We use language that shows that we belong. Um, uh, anyone ride a motorcycle in here? All right, yes, those of you that, that share the insanity of, uh, of what we do. So I remember when I first got a motorcycle, when I was first on the freeway, you know, it was basically that terrifying moment where basically all that's going through your head is don't die, don't die, don't die. Um, then as I started to get the hang of it, I remember so vividly, I was going on a two-lane highway, and a biker was coming the other way, and he flashed me the sign, right? He flashed me the sign down here. And bikers, for those of you that don't know, bikers have an entire language of sign language on the road. Uh, they show mutual respect. They warn each other that there are cops close. Um, there's all sorts of biker lingo um, that gets said just with signs. And I remember the first time some, somebody flashed me uh, the sign, the biker sign, I had this amazing feeling. I didn't care about if I was going to die on the freeway anymore. I was like, I belong. I belong. I'm, I'm one of the crowd, right? So this is the language of, of belonging in that first zone. And in the neutral zone, the second space, um, this is the language here that communicates is practical language. We use whatever language is necessary for us to accomplish the task we're looking to accomplish. If we are working with coworkers, we'll speak in the language of our practice. We'll speak in the language of the school we're going to. We'll speak in the language of the project that we're working on. Um, whatever it takes to get the job done. Our language here is based on shared goals. And I would argue that the... the, the um, the language that speaks most powerfully in this neutral zone, this second space, is the language of excellence, right? If I have a great interaction, a nice interaction with a, with a barista, but then I ordered a coffee and they hand it to me in a dirty mug and they got my order completely wrong and they just kind of throw it off to me and it spills, that's not going to communicate well to me in that space because they're not actually doing what they do excellently. We could be in the workplace, and you might have someone that you think is a great person, but, man, if they, if they, never, they never do the task that they're supposed to do, if they're always late, that doesn't communicate well. So when we, when we actually work in that neutral zone and we actually commit to excellence, that is a language that translates very well in that neutral space, even if we don't even share the same, uh, the same language, even if someone else speaks Spanish and I speak English. If we both do our job well and we can actually accomplish what we came there to accomplish, we've, we've communicated well. The third one, the other zone, the language here is an unknown language. It's unfamiliar. It could be a foreign language. Um, it could just be 
If you walk into a medical convention and you hear a bunch of doctors speaking in terminology that you've never heard before, and they might give you a 20-word phrase, and you're like, okay, so what does that mean? And they say, you broke your arm, right? And so we get it all of a sudden, but we didn't get it before because um, it wasn't our language. That is, in, in this third space, this third zone, um, what, what communicates well to other people and shows respect and cares interest. If we show interest in their conversation, if we show interest in their world and their interest, if we show interest in what they do in that space, all of a sudden that's a language that communicates. Because even though it's a a zone three for us, it's someone else's zone one, which is actually why we feel so much that we don't belong. Because in that zone, somebody belongs, it's just not us. Um, So when we, when we, uh, I think about it, when I've, when I talk to my niece, and I've got a four-year-old niece, if, if I keep the conversation about regular life, if I'm talking to her about politics and I'm talking to her about the music industry, it's just going to go straight over her head. She's not going to know anything that I'm talking about or really be able to contribute to that conversation. But if I take interest in her life and I start asking her about her life and what's going on in her world, all of a sudden she brings me into this entire world that she lives in and the way that she sees things or we'll play some game. She'll bring me into the giant dollhouse and, uh, and, uh, and we'll play some ridiculous game where I end up wearing some sort of ridiculous hat um, of some kind. But then we can have a very positive interaction because I take interest to speak her language with her. Um, so when we really think about it statistically, most people build their lives around spending as much time, maximizing their time in zone one, than trying to make zone two as much like zone one as possible. We want to go to the grocery store that we know, that we love, that we like, that all of our people go to. Um, we want our job to be as much as possible, especially nowadays that we can move towards working towards home, work, to, uh, work from home. We want to make as much as possible our job to be something we could do in our sweatpants on the couch um, as much as anything else. It's very natural because it's natural human psychology to want to belong and want to belong wherever we are. So we try to build our lives around maximizing that sense of belonging. So when we think of hospitality, it was a long way to get back here, but when we think of hospitality, the way, what we initially think of is we think about inviting other people into our zone one. We think about inviting other people into our comfort zone so that they can see and participate in the things that we love, that we care about, um, and they can then learn about those things um, by coming into our comfort zone. But what we have to understand is when we're inviting someone else into our comfort zone, our zone one, we're asking them to step into their third zone. We're asking them to step into their third space, which even if it's a very friendly, a very inviting place, there's a big psychological hurdle to stepping into a place that we don't already feel like we belong or we don't, we don't have any sense of knowing what they do, how they do it. We don't speak the language of that zone. So when we think about biblical hospitality, uh, I think a lot of times uh, the church, we can be very good at opening our doors. We can be very good about uh, posting our service times online or on social media or giving brochures that talk about the things that we do. And we can be very good about inviting people into our first space. Um, but I would argue that biblical hospitality flips that on its head. If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, um, I think what that is exemplified in is a passage from Philippians 2. 
It says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what we have here, when we, when we look at Jesus' example of hospitality, this is Jesus stepping out of his zone one. He didn't need to. There was nothing that required him to. He stepped out of his zone one, and he actually stepped into zone three, his zone three, which is our world. He stepped the creator of space and time, stepped into human history in such an undignified way that he actually was born. I mean, if you think about the craziness of uh, a God that would create the universe being born as a child, just the, the undignified nature of that. He stepped so deeply into that third space um, and walked through that. He, he lived life as a man. Then he stepped into the second space, right? He actually had a trade. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter for a lot longer than he was a teacher. Um, he, he was a carpenter. If he started his ministry when he was 30 and had a three-year ministry, he probably started really working as a carpenter more around the age of 17, 18, as he would start to take over more and more work from his father. So he lived a lot of time in that second zone. Then you think about Jesus, even when he steps into his ministry, instead of him just inviting people to the synagogue and inviting people to come to him, he was always the one that would go out. And he got criticized for it so much. He was the one that would go and eat and drink with tax collectors. He would, he would, um, he would go to parties. He would go to a man named Zacchaeus' house and actually step into that first space for Zacchaeus. He would step into the space of the others. And that would be my challenge for us is, is to think about ways that we've thought of hospitality as just inviting people in. And sometimes we don't think about the element of actually stepping into somebody else's world, stepping into their comfort zone um, and being a part of it. So with this challenge, uh, I've, got, I've got challenges for each zone. One, with zone one, our comfort zone, specifically as we think practically as a church. Uh, one question, one challenge I would have here is, do we use the fact that we have our open doors and we have our service times posted and technically anyone is welcome to come, do we use that reality as an excuse to not actually go invite people face to face? It can be so easy to do that. We feel like we're being so hospitable, but are we actually just finding ways to be apathetic so we don't have to go into somebody else's first space. We don't have to go into that foreign zone for us to actually develop the relationships that could lead to someone actually coming here. Two, do we think of this space, our comfort zone, do we try to build things in such a way that we, we build a, an insider language here? Um, we could think about that anywhere from the way that we speak to the songs that we sing to our interactions. Do we, do we speak and interact with people in a, in a hyper-religious language that people that have grown up going to church, they know what we're talking about, and people that don't have no clue, and it actually exacerbates them feeling more like an outsider when they come in here. Uh, that would, those would be two challenges um, that I have for us to think about as a church. Second one is in zone two, the neutral zone. Do we think of excellence in our work, excellence in our craft, excellence at 
our school or at our job or in those neutral public spaces? Do we think about pursuing excellence in those tasks as actually being a part of our witness um, and being a part of our invitation for someone to step into our space? When we, when we work with excellence, people tend to actually want to listen to what we have to say. And then they're going to be much more open to actually stepping into their third space, our comfort zone, to hear about what we do here, about what it's like to follow God. Uh, Finally, zone three. Are we willing to actually step out of our comfort zone and learn the language of the culture around us? Um, Are we willing to step into interests and take interest in people that, that do things completely differently than we do, um, that their world is so completely different than ours that normally we would have no interaction. And a lot of times they want so badly, they have all of the desires to hear the hope of, of the gospel, the hope of the message of God, the hope of Jesus, um, the love of God, but they don't speak our language. And unless we take that first step and step into their comfort zone, they're never going to step into ours. And so that would be my challenge for us there. I just want to close with um, a passage from Luke. It talks about uh, the parable of the great banquet. Um, Here, Jesus is telling a parable, and it says this. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I think we're very good. And even when it comes to invitations, when we do step out and we do invite somebody to come step into this space with us, we're very good about going into the neutral zone, maybe speaking with people that we work with, people that we interact with regularly. But what, what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I want you to go out. I want you to go into the world of the other. I want you to step way into zone three. Um, go wherever you can. Bring those people um, so that we can fill this house and that we can actually make what we do here a place that's not only a place of belonging for us, but a place of belonging for the other. If we can take this space here, See Me Covenant Church, which right now is a third space, is a zone three for just about everybody that's never been here before. If we could make this place a place that someone could come in to visit and feel like they belong, um, even if they don't agree with everything we say immediately, they, they, might, they, might, uh, they might be an atheist, they might be an agnostic, they might um, come from a different religious background, they might have completely different um, political views, but are we willing to make this a space that we can say, here, come, do life with us. Let us show you what we do here. Let's take interest in your life, show you what we do here, and see if God doesn't actually speak to you. Uh, I'm going to hand the mic back to Melody. So my challenge for you this morning is not to leave here the same way that you got, 
that you came, that I just pray that the Holy Spirit has been working um, among us this morning. And maybe it was something that Betty said in sharing that story of, of the gal that won't sleep in her own bed, just like, kind of like, oh my gosh, I, I can see that. And, and opening our eyes to that, and, and maybe the video of some of the clients. And, um, you know, maybe it's that word, and I'm going to probably not say it right again, um, <laughs> Philozinia, that's like sinking into your heart and like, you know what? I'm going to be practicing this biblical hospitality. No more American hospitality for me. I'm going to practice biblical hospitality. Um, maybe it's something Jay said in thinking of those zone threes that you can go and step into. Um, and you're going to be uncomfortable for sure. But learning the language, learning their language and their culture um, in that is just like we don't leave here the same as we got here this morning. Yeah, and I, I encourage us to even think about that. Think, think about some of those things in terms of the way that we do life here. Um, again, a lot of times the languages that we speak in our, our comfort zone, it's not a bad language at all. But if we can think about ways that we can take that language that we speak here and have that be something that could translate to someone that doesn't feel like this is their comfort zone, um, that would be my challenge for us uh, this morning. All right, let's go ahead, and we're going to close in prayer, and Jay and the band can get back to so we can uh, worship some more. Um, pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time that we can be here in your presence, Lord, and please just um, surround us with the Holy Spirit that just is working in our hearts and, and in our minds and in our strength and in our souls on ways that we can really step out and practice this biblical hospitality and walk into other people's comfort zones, Lord, and um, letting our discomfort not be the main thing anymore, that we can see how you are working and that we are going to be blessed in that process. And Lord, we just... Um, we just pray that we don't leave here the same as we, when we came in. Um, we just love you, and we love to serve you, and we just thank you for the blessings that you have so abundantly provided for us. In your name, amen.